Welcome to Men in Charge. I'm Tony Flynn. And I'm Kevin Decker. Welcome to Season 11, the vestigial or, frankly, unneeded season. Today's episode is episode 13, the first of the middle episodes, Cheerleaders for Coroner's Office Reform. Kevin, I know Coroner's Office Reform has been very important to you. Why bring in the cheerleaders? That's my question. Well, I would love to say that this is actually based on something that I saw going on because during the summer months, and when is it not the summer months, we always (laughs) see fundraising going on, and a lot of the fundraising is car washes. But no, I actually just wanted to top the next longest episode title of the season by one letter. And so Cheerleaders for Coroner's Office Reform does that. So if it does that, it's done its job as an episode title. That is correct. That is correct. We can go home now. Thank you. This is the end of the episode. Well, uh, Kevin... um, The uh, station lawyer is on the phone. I think we do have to continue. Yeah. So given that you've uh, (laughs) broken new ground in episode titularity, where does this take us conceptually into the upcoming episode? Well, I think what we're trying to do may be impossible, but trying to make the listener think. What connection do the cheerleaders have with this particular civil entity? And is there a car wash fundraising drive to get the reform off the ground? The car wash was implicit in the title. I will grant you that. But cheerleaders, we mean that uh, literally, not metaphorically, right? Yeah. Not just people who are in favor of it, but actual cheerleaders. Actual cheerleaders. Are young men in cheerleaders' outfits with the little skirts? That is correct. And young women who are responsible for holding those young men in skirts up at awkward angles to the crowd. Yeah. Yes, and then they tumble and scrape knees and lawsuits are the result. It's awful. I have to say that my own theory about the cheerleaders' involvement in coroner's office reform probably has to do with all the cover-ups. You know, this is the sort of thing where you go in to identify a body, for example, and they really quick flip the sheet back And you only get a second or two, and you're like, I think that was him slash her slash it, but I'm not sure. I think (laughs) they depend on you to identify it, because if you're not sure, that's embarrassing. Oh, yeah. You get laughed out of the uh, coroner's office. How many times has that happened to us? Oh, yes. More than necessary. That's another episode title, and if it was long enough, it might be the next episode in the season. Who knows? Laughed out of the coroner's (laughs) office yet again. (laughs) Now that we've we've really provided some background for the title and the morgue-like quality of the entire (laughs) season, Kevin, perhaps it's time to dive into some feigned enthusiasm for today's segment. We do. Boy, if you've been listening heartily with your rubric in front of you, you've noticed (laughs) a lot of pox and phlegm on the show recently. and You uh, have to wipe it off the screen. You do. We have the ninth entry in our pox and phlegm coverage. Yes, our uh, three very, very white hosts invite Samuel Alito to explain why we don't need privacy anymore. Guards are called, people are locked away. It's fun for the family. Yeah, I don't think that the Pox and Phlegm anchor team will ever be the same again. No, No, it's entirely different after this episode. 
After that, we have a sketch from our writer, Scott Herrick. I don't know if this one has a formal title, but it's a what-if sort of episode. I've been bugging him about formal titles, and he says, get out of my house. But this happens every so often. The guy who announces golf in the hushed, excited voice is asked in to provide color for a baseball game, a game our golf announcer does not know. It's really very funny. I was annoyed that I hadn't written it. And we're going to end up today, as we so often do, with RV Rapture, Chapter 11, the final chapter. The premise here, ladies and gentlemen, you may recall, is that Fred and Margaret, after having died on the road in an RV accident, have been spending their life both trying to redeem other people from the RV lifestyle, but also dealing with Satan and Satan's gerbil. Yes, Satan's gerbil in the previous episode, you'll recall, was swallowed by their Shih Tzu Bitsy. And that's where we left it. But things have a way of working themselves through a system. And it all comes out pretty well. Good evening, fellow Americans, and welcome to Pox News' Pox and Phlegm. I'm your anchor, Jeff White, along with our special White House correspondent, Bobby Vanilla. Oh, and of course, our blonde Blanche Whitney. Thanks, Jeff, for referring to me as essentially, at best, vestigial. If I still had my Lady Dragon taser, I'd... But you don't, Blanche. The Supreme Court's Dobbs decision made it pretty clear that you no longer have the right to... To bear arms? I do like it when you bear your arms in those ridiculously tight crimson strapless dresses the network makes you wear. Bobby, you moron! The Second Amendment says I can keep my taser. But that was your personal taser for private use, right? And you chose this taser yourself, correct? That's right. Well, Justice Alito has made it clear in the Dobbs decision that just as the Constitution says nothing about abortion, it also says nothing about tasers. It's not in the state's interest for women to be doing any choosing that interferes with disruption of her bodily autonomy. Wow, Bobby, that is some excellent reading from your cue cards. Okay, Bobby, my taser's gone, but here's my fist. Guards! Wait, what's this? Don't touch me. Guards? Since when do we have guards, Jeff? (laughs) Well, Blanche, if you'd been paying attention to the repercussions of the Dobbs decision... I have been! And I was just going to report on how it liberates women from having to wonder whether or not to bear a child to let nature... (laughs) And you just now reported that, so thanks. Take her away, guards. You see, Blanche, the Dobbs decision corrected a lot of readings of the Fourth Amendment that allowed for way too much privacy, violating corporate interests. So the network went through your stuff, read your (laughs) private emails and texts... If I can pipe up here, Blanche, since I have a new cue card at the ready, a new post-Dobbs reading of your contract with the network essentially makes you chattel, like our computers or cleaning staff. I'll get you for this! Oh, Bobby, you and I need to find a new blonde for the show, don't we? (laughs) Sure do, Jeff. Let go of me, you gaspachos! Jeff! Bobby! It's me, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm a blonde. Pick me. Pick me. Whoa there, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Are you armed? 
Well, yes! Guards! Well, folks, sorry for all this uproar. This great nation and Pox and Phlegm are in the midst of a great transformation. That's right, Jeff. For example, checks and balances has evolved. Oh, we don't say evolved, Bobby. Oh, that's right, Jeff. The old checks and balances was transformed a while back into the Battle of the Branches. Until now, at last, the Supreme Court has finally beaten back both the executive and legislative branches. (laughs) So now it's truly supreme. So to celebrate this moment, let's welcome our next guest, Justice Samuel Alito. Thank you. Thank you all. To keep from tripping, you need to raise those judges' skirts a little higher. Here, let me help you up, Justice Alito. Not by my robes. Nice flash of calf there, Mr. Justice. What, no trousers? That's private, Bobby. And it's very hot under these robes. Boy, I'll say. You're looking mighty good for a 72-year-old. I hope you don't have a taser under those robes. Sorry, Justice Alito. Bobby's been tasered a lot for just those sorts of remarks. He's come to expect it. That's right, Jeff. But speaking of private, (laughs) your Dubs decision has opened up a lot of opportunity to curb Americans' privacy rights, not just those that have to do with women's bodies. Now, let me just stop you right there, Jeff. It wasn't just my decision, but the decision of five men and one handmaid. By handmaid, I assume you mean Amy Coney Barrett? That Amy is hot! Hot, hot, hot! I think she prefers the term handmaiden, Bobby. But unfortunately, three very disobedient women... Justices Kagan, Sotomayor, and Jackson, I gather? Yes. They won't be bent so easily to the court's new way of thinking. As for privacy... Nobody's going to hear from me about those mauve sock garters under your robe, Mr. Justice. Uh, As I was saying, the Constitution in Article 4 affirms the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. And since our sacred founders were latecomers to the Internet... Digital stuff and the cloud aren't covered by persons, houses, papers, and effects, are they? (laughs) I'm afraid not. The problem is that in making determinations about the internet, we are put in a position of determining what is a reasonable expectation of privacy. But the court doesn't want to do that. But isn't that what the court is for? Ooh, if your browser history looks as good as those shapely judicial calves of yours, then zowie. Uh, naturally, I don't know what a browser history is, so I don't have one. So you can't check it. But no, Jeff. We prefer to let state legislatures take the lead, letting them determine the reasonable expectation that law enforcement should be able to access whatever they want. What if, you know, a Democrat legislature decides to rein in law enforcement to handcuff them, so to speak? Well, if a legislature happens to make that mistake, of course, we five men and our handmaiden will just overrule them. Gosh, thanks, Justice Alito. With you six justices running this nation, I think we're in very good hands. Thanks, Jeff. And such fine elderly hands, too. They look very soft. 
Are they soft? May I touch them? Well, that's all the time we have now for Pox and Phlegm. Tune in again next time when we ask Justice Alito what he said back in his Senate confirmation hearings about privacy. Uh, well, hey, uh, why don't we look at a couple of my colleagues' browser histories instead? And don't you want to learn more about handmaidens? And here we go into the top of the third, all tied a run apiece. And now joining us here in the booth is Reed Parr, whose regular gig, of course, is covering golf here on the network. Reed is filling in for Red Brown, our regular color man who has been called away for a so-called family emergency. So, welcome, Reed. Ever called a baseball game before? Nope. At the network for 34 years, and it's been all golf all the time. Well, it's not complicated. As any fan will tell you, there's a reason baseball is the national pastime. Well, here we go. Here's Williams leading off. He takes the first pitch high and wide. Ball one. Goodness sakes, that was fast. What just happened? Uh, well, the ball was too high. And too wide. Off the strike zone. Right. And here's the wind-up and the pitch. Oh my gosh, there's a drive deep down the left field line. Curving, curving, it's foul by about a foot. Boy, he really laid into that one. Goodness, why are you yelling? What's wrong? Nothing's wrong, cowboy, just a long strike. One and one now, here's the next pitch. Oh, he's hit right in the shoulder. Took a fastball right between the shoulder blades. He looks like he's shrugging it off, though, and is trotting down the first baseline. Oh, I bet that stings. He's a tough one, that Williams. He hit him with the ball? Is that even legal? Well, sure it's legal, but the runner gets to go to first. Never happens in golf. Never seen it. You'd be arrested. What? Oh, well, right. Next up is Miller, having a great season, coming in with a 299 average, 109 hits, and 55 RBIs. I see. Sure. Here's the pitch. Here's a little looper. Looks like it might drop in. Bingo! Right between the shortstop and left fielder. Runners safe all around. Here come the Sox. Runners on first and second. Nobody out. Coming up next is Jackson. Hitless in his last 14 innings and struggling with a 2.30 average. Well below last year's numbers. He's swinging from the left side tonight. Let's see if he can avoid the double play and move the runners over. Why is everyone uh, spitting? And here's the pitch. Oh, yes! There's a long drive to deep left field. That ball is going, going, gone! One swing of the bat and the Sox jump in front 3-0. And we're only in the third inning. He absolutely crushed that potato. What exactly just happened? Do they have another ball? Lots of good questions. Hey, uh, let's try a little experiment here. What do you say, how about you call the rest of the inning? I need to refill my hip flask for a few minutes, and my bladder really needs to deal with all the cold bush-like beer I've been drinking. Go on, you'll be fine. Just describe for the folks at home what you see happening on the field. Nothing fancy. 
just to remind them who's up and what the score is once in a while and what's going on on the field. I'll be back before you know it. I don't know. I mean, I, I just, uh... Well, folks, here we go. Looks like the team with the yellow hats is having some kind of meeting. Yes. About what, I'm not sure. No, well, they just quit their meeting and are now back where they were. The main thrower spins the ball toward the ones holding the club, not a driver, exactly, and completely misses. More spitting from both teams. The man who caught the ball now throws it back to the main thrower, who plays with it, rolling it between his fingers, looks around the crowd, and now almost everyone on the fairway is crouching down, and the main thrower throws again at the same fellow with the club who appears to duck. Now, it appears, the older boss of the other team is coming out to the main thrower. And oh my gosh, he's a huge man, much older than his team. And he's wearing the tiny uniform of his players and looks frankly, well, excuse me, a little silly. That meeting has apparently broken up as the yellow-shirted team has now returned to their little wire house near the gallery. The other players continue to spit and kind of wait around for something to happen. And now here comes another player from another place, way out in the field. He's running onto the fairway, and everyone else seems to be just standing around. And most of them are still spitting. So now the first man with the ball is given the same ball to the man who just waltzed in from maybe the 17th or even 18th hole, someplace not even visible to me here. And now the other team is standing around, and yes, spitting, and now here is a new main thrower playing catch with the catcher player, and everyone else is still standing around, looking like they're waiting for a bus. And now, here comes some music. Don't recognize it. And oh, here comes another player up to hit at the ball from a different thrower. I don't know what happened to the original thrower. Maybe he had a meeting, got sick. The new main thrower is now staring at his catcher and shakes his head. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. They must be disagreeing about what club to use when they get a chance to swing. Or, up now the catcher is trotting out to speak with the main thrower. Maybe the catcher is actually the main thrower's caddy. Maybe he forgot to give him something or... Tell him something before... Ah, now Mr. Catcherman is running back to the club holder. And boy, this is taking forever. How's it going, Reed? Getting the swing of things? And the club holder has finally hit the ball after a number of mulligans. And now he is running, rather like a spooked deer, around the crooked square. And everyone seems to have stopped spitting. And the crowd is yelling. Now the runner is sprinting toward yet another white pillar, and he really sliced the ball way out there. And here comes the ball toward the runner, and there is quite a commotion. And now a dust storm, and now everyone is screaming and jumping up and down, and there's finger pointing from both teams, and the giant policemen in the black suits are pointing out various things to the players, and there is utter turmoil down in the fairway. But the gallery is clearly going wild, and there is not a caddy in sight. 
extraordinary scene. I've never seen anything like it. Well, thanks for dropping into the booth to help us out tonight, Reed. Maybe we can talk you into joining us again as we approach the magic month of September, every baseball fan's favorite time of year. Sorry? And, and anyway, all of the players appear now to be back in their little wire houses. How many meetings do they get per match? And now here comes Ernie Swangle hitting an impressive 303 from the right side. He's got an on-base percentage of over 800 in the past month, and he's hit for the cycle three times in the last month. Well, I'm guessing that's really something. He hit the cycle with the ball. Whose cycle was it? Anyone hurt? What a game. Who knew? Could I see your hip flask for a moment? Listening to Men in Charge, the origin of all memes. Greetings, folks. Here we are at the Pearly Gates, and you're just in time for one of our specialty tours. <laughs> That's right, I'm St. Peter, and today we're featuring two of our favorites. Well, maybe they're not the Lord's favorites exactly, but they are interesting. That's right, I'm talking about Fred and Margaret. For those of you who are new, Fred and Margaret died in an RV crash and are now heavenly helpers. Calling them angels would be a stretch. They travel around in the Lord's electric Mazda with their little shits of Bitsy, doing good deeds during the day. Then at night, they have to atone for their lifetime of RV gas consumption by sleeping in Satan's Lake of Fire campground. Recently, we had quite a to-do. <laughs> oh my yes, Margaret had two familiars, Mr. Cuddles, the satanic gerbil, and one from our side, Rupert, the heavenly slug. Now, just last week, Bitsy ate Mr. Cuddles <laughs> Score one for the good guys, I guess. Fred? Fred? What now, Margaret? I think I hear Mr. Cuddles. Come on, Margaret. You know Bitsy ate him. <laughs> right down to his pointy little tail. I know. It's just that I hear his voice. I, I, I think he's talking to us from inside. <laughs> Inside Bitsy. Margaret, he was a minion of Satan. Now thanks to Bitsy, he's gone. You're just imagining things. Not so fast, Fred. You listen to that? 
hate to say it, Mark. Right. His voice is coming from inside the dog. Thanks to that greedy Shih Tzu, I'm stuck in here. Now pull over, Fred. I want to stop for lunch. But how will you... You name me one thing that flatulent dog won't eat. So Bitsy eats lunch and... And then it heads my way. Just don't feed her any Brussels sprouts. They give me... Okay, okay, no problem. Poor Mr. Cuddles. No napkins, no silverware, no fresh fruit. Forget all that. I'm in the mood for poutine. Poutine? What the heck is poutine? Oh, come on, Fred. It's that Canadian thing. You know, French fries and cheese curds topped with brown gravy. Oh, that sounds like it's bad for Bitsy. Saturated fat, cholesterol, refined carbs. Be a sport, Fred. Just let the poor pup take her triglyceride levels out for a spin. Maybe we can have some, too. Come on, let's live a little. (laughs) Too late for that, Margaret. Oh, Fred, you know what I mean. Oh, there we go. I see a gas station on the next corner, and there's a convenience store attached. You're going to feed gas station poutine to the dog? (laughs) I don't know about this. Zip it, Fred. I'm the one stuck inside the dog. Okay, okay. I'll just run in. You know, Cuddles, now that Margaret's not here, I'd like to mention that I think it would be a good idea for you to, uh, go back where you came from. Great idea, Fred. But I'm still looking for the exit door. Isn't there some sort of I don't know, black magic? Now, folks, you can sure see why being St. Peter is not the easiest gig in this world. Or in the next one, either. I guess it's time for me to intervene. Fred. Fred, listen up. St. Peter? That's right, Fred. If you're going to start talking black magic, I guess I'm afraid I have to step in. It's just that Mr. Cuddles here just keeps making unnatural demands, you know, like, like, poutine. Poutine? Okay, the situation is bad. I'll fix it just this once. But how? The laying on of hands. There. No more Mr. Cuddles. Oof. There was a big, long line at the checkout. Did I miss anything? Well, uh, Mr. Cuddles, um... Left. Mr. Cuddles left. If it isn't St. Peter. It's a good thing you're here, because I got two extra-large plates of poutine. And it would be a shame if they went to waste. Thank you. 
Well, Kevin, it's time to implicitly criticize our cast with feigned gratitude. Yeah, these are the people who probably wish they hadn't associated with us in the first place. Thank you, Steve Lloyd, Nancy Roth, Kevin Decker, Tony Flynn, Sarah O'Hare, Ann Porter, Scott Herrick, and Jody Stewart-Strobel. We'd also like to thank our authors, Tony Flynn, Ann Porter, and Scott Herrick. And we'd like to thank the Bad Plus for our themes. We also have to thank those multitudes who gather in a bubble of excitement when they meet us at the elevator. Carrie Boyce, Vern Windham, Nisha Schramm, Savannah Rothi, Nancy Roth, and the only man who comes to work expecting a handout, Brian Lindsay. 